Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. We are in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the NTCA SRC Live or Smart Rural Communities event. I'm your host, Joel Kulabella, and I am joined by Josh Sutterman, VP of Policy and Industry Innovation. Josh, welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Thank you. Um, super great event. We're actually the last two here, so we're sort of like closing down the bar. Um, phenomenal event. But before we sort of dive into that, I would love it if you could just give our listeners a little background on yourself and just, um, you know, who you are. <laughs> That's a very big question. <laughs> All right. Um, well, listen, you already, you already said my title, VP of Policy and Industry Innovation for NTCA, the Royal Broadband Association. Uh, NTCA represents about 800 small, locally operated broadband providers throughout the United States. Uh, and what I do at NTCA is probably split 50-50 between nuts and bolts regulatory issues with the Federal Communications Commission, uh, USDA, NTIA, Federal Trade Commission from time to time, other federal agencies, and the other 50% is fun. And that's programming that gets back to the Smart Rural Community Program. Uh, that is everything from taking a look at where the innovations and trends are in IoT for agriculture or healthcare, uh, what we see in population data, uh, what we see in rural youth retention. But uh, all of these, all of these issues that are bound up by that common fiber of broadband. Yeah, it's a it's a super great event. So obviously you have the 850 and then you've got a smaller subset, um, the smart rural communities. I was wondering if you could sort of just unpack that in terms of um, what is a smart rural community? Um, how do you become one? You know, what are the different things that, that need to be sort of, uh, I, I guess, milestones that they would need to reach? Uh, you know, so our traditional broadband provider members are eligible to apply to become a designated smart rural community provider. And we also have smart connected community and smart tribal community, depending on the particular market that that company wants, company serves, then it can select whether it wants to be smart rural community or a connected or a tribal community. But the, the criteria are, are very simple. Uh, there's a metric of broadband deployment that they have to have in their community in terms of how many of their customers they can reach with 100 megabits of service. They have to have a certain number and a certain percentage of their customers taking broadband service. And then we call the SRC pledge, which is where they sign on the dotted line and they commit to collaborate actively with other community leaders, whether that be their schools, their healthcare organizations, law enforcement, public officials, and we sometimes get questions from companies, you know, we can check the box. We've got that 100 megabits broadband service. We have, you know, X percentage of our customers taking broadband, but how are you going to, you know, what do you mean by that sort of active engagement and collaboration? And 99.9% .9 of the time, the answer is you're already doing it. I know you are because you're meeting regularly with your school superintendent to say, well, what are your technology needs and how can we help you meet those? Or do you have, do you have a pain point and maybe we've got a tech solution that can help you overcome that? You know, and it, it's so important collaboration because it's one of those things when you get the, the community to buy in as a whole, they understand that the, the importance of broadband, it just makes the process a whole lot easier for these, for these companies. Right. So, um, 
the, this event has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, um, this is the second year you started. It seems like you guys are really cooking with gasoline in the sense that um, you had, I, I forget how many um, the first year, but you've, you've got grown to over 270 partners. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, what's sort of been the feedback in terms of, uh, you know, here at the event in terms of the different events or the different panels they've been putting on? It's been positive. I think the most heartening feedback we get is when someone comes over to us and says, you know, you raised an issue that I hadn't thought about before, but I'm going to take that back to my local community. And we talk very broadly in terms of broadband supporting healthcare and education and commercial development or economic development. And I know we're going to get into a conversation a little bit later, but when you, when you kind of unpack that public health and safety and telehealth and you start to peel back some layers and say, all right, well, specifically, how do we use broadband to address SUD disorders and treatment within the local judiciary at the county level? That's, it's a critical question and it's not one that always comes top of mind, but if we have a couple hundred people at this meeting and they walk home back to their communities and say, hey, we heard something really interesting that's going on in a rural county in Ohio. How can we model that sort of program here? You know, I, I, it's a it's a it's a great point because the you know the great thing about this is that um, there there's no one competing against one another. So it's one of those things that people are so open with their with their ideas. They're 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 interested in, in collaborating. They're they're interested in sharing. And I think it's a uh, it's really an, an invaluable opportunity for folks to sort of like get a peek under the tent um, to see what other folks are doing, whatever the category. So you, you hit the nail on the head of one of the things that we try to do with the Smart Communities Program, and that is to, to really coax these stories out of our members to find out what they're doing in their communities and to elevate those best practices. Now, if you've seen one rural place, you've seen one rural place. Yep, absolutely. So we can't necessarily transfer what worked for one community over to another community. So we're not talking about blueprints. We're talking about frameworks. What's the analytical construct that I can come away from a meeting like this and learn, well, this community engaged that sort of a program with its school. I've got a different problem, but I can take what they did and I can adapt that to my particular needs. Yeah, no, I think uh, Pablo Picasso said that, um, Great artists um, don't copy, they steal. So it's one of those things where there's an opportunity here when you see that and it's like, you take what, what they've done and then you make it work for you. Um, you know, one of the other things that, that I thought was great was um, that you are encouraging these folks to tell their stories. I was sitting at a table and um, it's interesting how, you know, when, when these were only telephone companies or when these, you know, there was no competition. And that now it's like one of those things like, hey, listen, we need to tell our story. We can't assume that people know that we bring broadband. And the great thing about you know, these communities and when they're fiber-based and they're, they're um, controlled by local communities, it's just the service is just that much better. So a recurring issue, so to speak, that we see among our companies is that they're, they're reluctant to boast and they don't even view themselves as doing anything that they should be bragging about. For them, this is just the normal and ordinary course of business. And we have, we see it in the awards programs. We, you know, have companies who come in and we know they're doing terrific things and they submit an application 
and we say, but wait a minute, you, you didn't tell us about 50% of what you're doing in your community. And they say, well, that's really the customers doing it. We, we just kind of got them set up and, and pointed the way. No, it's one of those things. You're 100% right. And it's a very like small town kind of thing. It's like they, they, they tend to be modest, but it's like, listen, you need to stand from the, the highest peak and scream like, we're doing great things. There's, a, there's critical importance with that. There's a tendency sometimes, I think, among policymakers to think about broadband deployment in terms of, well, how many facilities did you serve and how many locations have you reached and how many miles of network did you deploy? And those are all very important metrics, and those are really the metrics by which we can measure accountability when we're talking about federal funding programs like BEAD or others. But the the true return on investment, the true ROI for rural broadband is every student that's able to enjoy more educational opportunities in a small town, in a small high school. It's every patient that has better health outcomes. It's every worker that has greater flexibility and more opportunity than they would if they didn't have the connectivity to the outside world. Uh, another great point. You know, when we, uh, uh, I saw it when we saw Catherine DeWitt speak yesterday, she spoke about how, you know, how important it is like when you invest $1, you get $4 back. So it's one of those things where there is definitely a halo effect, um, not just, you know, in terms of getting connected, but from all the different things that you can bring to the community. Right. And we see that in economics all the time. There's the, uh, the investment multiplier, but broadband is really sits at the base of so many different industries. And the, with the many efforts that we're engaging in terms of workforce development at the post-secondary level, We've worked with the National Rural Education Association to create a toolkit for K through 12 schools. And the goal of that is to raise awareness of careers in the broadband industry among younger students. And one of the messages that we deliver in that effort is that a career in broadband is not necessarily limited to installation, technicians, repairs within that broadband company. And those are great jobs and those are foundational career opportunities. But it involves everything from cybersecurity to supporting telehealth systems to supporting social services. And the more that broadband touches more of what we do on a regular daily basis, that expands the universe of jobs that are available within the broadband industry. You know, uh, you raise another great point. And it was interesting as well, sitting in the, the, um, the uh, talk that you were in yesterday in terms of for an ag culture, is that it's important to once again go towards the students and reach out to their 4-H clubs, to the young um, farmers of America to show them, it's like, listen, um, if you want to pursue um, these fields, you've got to make sure that technology is a part of it. Right. And it's, it's agriculture, it's manufacturing, it's, it's any venture really within the industrial sector. And it's gets broken down as simply as the things that we are using on a daily basis in our consumer lives are becoming more and more complicated. So the process of creating them, designing them, building them, repairing them, maintaining them are becoming more and more complicated. And, and, it's, and it's becoming more and more um, broadband focused, right? It's one of those things where everyone, uh, broadband is the back of the house. Nobody Correct. talks about it, but it's, it, but it's got to be there because otherwise when you bring out the food, if it's not right, people are going to complain. Right. Absolutely. So um, just, I would love it if we could sort of touch on it, some of the, the different sort of uh, breakout sessions that y you guys uh, created, because I um, think you did a phenomenal job. One of the ones that um, I had a chance to interview, Gary Johnson um, from Paul Bunyan, 
and they're doing um, tons of stuff with gaming. And it's, it's amazing because I think what it is, is it's marketing 2.0, where you're basically teaching um, or as a way to bring broadband to folks in a way that gets them excited, but they're not, they don't know they're being sold. Right. And especially for younger students, we encounter something called the relevance gap. And we've probably all hit this in our lives in school where we are engaged in a subject and a teacher is droning on and on. And we think to ourselves, what relevance does this have to my life? When am I going to use trigonometry? When am I going to, when, when, when will the, you know, when will this war from the 1700s ever have an impact in my life? Uh, broadband is remarkable because it, again, it touches so many, so many aspects of daily living. So when we talk about the relevance gap in terms of associating academic coursework to what people do on an everyday basis, gaming is an opportunity for not just the technical skills and skills in terms of computing and um, coding and all the avenues that people can go through in terms of their playing or modification, but it's also soft skill building in terms of teamwork and camaraderie. Uh, that's the that's the talent pipeline development aspect that we look for. But there's a huge social component for gaming as well. And again, this is not the bread and butter of what NTCA gets into as a broadband association. Uh, but to the extent that what our members do touch people's lives in ways that couldn't be reached without broadband, it does provide an opportunity for kids to meet others and work with others with whom they might not have gravitated to at the cafeteria table. Yeah, no, and it's also, you make a great point in terms of just, it's a, it's a way to learn that isn't so um, regimented. It's one of those things where um, you know, it's interesting when we talk with folks in terms of adoption and the sooner you start, the more um, easy folks are going to be to embrace tech because it's one of those things where as we move forward, as we become more part of a digital economy, you've got to have those skills. Well, as human beings, how do we learn? By when, doing. By doing, by play. Yeah. As right. children. That's, I love how, play, that's yeah. how children learn. They by play. Great point. Um, so obviously that that was great as well. You you were part of a, a panel for ag tech. Um, super um, fascinated by how much a broadband really is involved in the entire process in terms of um, for farms, um, in terms of cattle. Uh, I would love if you could talk about that. You said something yesterday um, in the talk about ag terrorism. And I just was like blown away in terms of like, I, it's something I never even thought of. So getting to the first issue, think of farming as a business of logistics. Sure. It's, it's getting you know the seed into the ground at the right time. It's making sure you have the right chemical application of the right irrigation. You want to make sure that you harvest it at the right time. If you're talking about animal farming, the two biggest cost inputs are going to be feed and disease. Uh, you want to make sure that you trace the, the ownership of a head of cattle, for example, from birth to processing. So all of these are steps along the way, whether it's plant or animal farming that speak to the ultimate value of the product, and all of them are increasingly being addressed through broadband-enabled solutions. Now let's hop over to agroterrorism. Agriculture faces no less of a threat from cybersecurity intrusions than any other industry. And the consequences can be devastating. Now we often, very, we often look back to the meatpacking hack from a couple of summers ago, but that's, that gets into a transactional 
issue in some respect. But if we take a look at irrigation, feed management, disease control, adversarial intervention could interfere with irrigation and ruin a crop. Uh, it could message a farmer that a substantial proportion of the herd is sick and needs to be separated and needs to be put down. It can be you know, overfeeding, underfeeding through these automated bins and can have devastating impacts on the nation's food supply. So it doesn't necessarily have to be simple mischief, doesn't have to be state-sponsored terrorism, but again, whatever the source. Well, right. And it was interesting as well when uh, I think it was um, one of the panelists said that that um, uh, cattle wrestling is still a thing. And so it's one of the where you could have, if you have broadband connectivity, you can have uh, cameras set up so you can sort of cut that off, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, switching channels a little bit. Um, telehealth, you know, it's one of those things where I think it's an important use case to make sure that folks understand um, how important it is, because I think it's um, just another way to um, bring um, technology closer to, to rural folks. It's one of those, they, they say for every 10 miles someone is from a hospital, the less likely that they're, they'll um, go in for care. And, and that's one of those things where if they could access um, telehealth, at least you know have a preliminary sort of discussion with a, a healthcare provider, Gives an opportunity. Hey, listen, I have X, Y, and Z. I'm not feeling this. Uh, it could be, it could be nothing, or it could be. Listen, you need to come in and and get some further tests. Right. So number one, it it works on the front end just like that. It also works on the back end. There are a number of times where people have to go in for a, a post service, a post surgical consult, and if you're miles and miles away from that specialist, you might be driving. A couple of hours to get there. You might be driving an hour to get there. You might be an hour in the waiting room. And often these post-surgical consults can be done through video transmission. Um, the other the other neat thing, and again, this gets into the connectivity and the higher bandwidth capacities and needs are the developing field of using virtual reality and alternative reality for telehealth and specifically for mental health therapy and treatment. Yeah, no, it's, uh, we did an interview last year with some folks who are doing, um, some really interesting stuff with cancer treatments, um, with the university of, of, um, Kansas and, um, partnering with rural hospitals. So, um, if someone needs to get, uh, diagnosed by a specialist, they can put on the VR goggles and that it gives, um, the opportunity to get a really, um, you know, world-class uh, surgeon or doctor at looking at their case, which is which is amazing. Absolutely. Um, also, just out of curiosity, uh, in terms of inclusion, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to get an adoption up, especially in terms of the folks that feel as though that the internet has passed them by? I mean, the biggest barriers to internet to broadband adoption are income and educational attainment. And the two are linked a little bit because numerous studies demonstrate that the higher level of education someone has, the higher their income level is. So we can let's we, we can put educational attainment off as to the side as being a you know predictor cause, uh, but income and affordability continue to be the uh, prevailing issue. As we have various government programs that are aimed at easing broadband subscription rates for low income users, then the next question is 
how do companies create outreach opportunities to other organizations within their community who can reach specific populations or communities that have not yet become deeply engaged in broadband? Yeah, because that's ultimately one of those things. I think there's a there's a huge intimidation factor as well in terms of if you didn't sort of learn when you were younger, then you you know if you put in a dot incorrectly or if you miss a slash, and then it just gets frustrating. So, so you know, age is another factor in broadband adoption. I think that I think that will self resolve over time because I don't know that as you and I get older, we're going to throw away our phones or our devices. However, there will be new applications and there will be new technology coming on board. So I think that there is value to thinking programmatically into the future of what are the protocols we use and what sort of programming can we develop to make sure that people, no matter how old they are, always have access and opportunity to test drive the new technology. You know, that's a great point. I was actually in a, at a conference in North, uh, Wilson, North Carolina, and um, I was speaking with someone who was trying to bring folks in for, in terms of inclusion, and it was, she went into a, rec- a retirement community, and the folks were very hesitant. But what she did was she introduced them to YouTube. And as we both know, as we all know, YouTube is just chock full of um, snapshots of the past. And so she said it was amazing having these folks hop on and find things that they um, remembered as a kid that w- that m- made them excited to go on the internet. And I think that's really important is to find those things that get people excited and engaged. It's not a tool, but it's it's an opportunity. It's a terrific example. And there's a, there's a number of companies, but one that comes to mind is uh, they're using virtual reality and they're piloting programs in nursing homes where they working specifically with Alzheimer's patients and other patients in that sort of a decline where they're jogging memory and stimulating intellectual engagement by taking them on a tour of their past through virtual reality. And then that opens the person up to talk about things that they hadn't, they might not have been able to access otherwise. Um, It is incredible because I saw something similar as well um, for physical therapy where they had um, older folks in a um that were bedridden but what they did was they put virtual reality goggles on them and they were allowed to exercise and it was it was a much more um engaging opportunity for them it just wasn't them raising a hand or, or throwing a ball but they were in these virtual worlds so it's it's amazing how in the next you know 5 to 10 years um what we're going to do in terms of just getting folks excited to do whatever it is they want to do it's also used for phobia treatment because one one method of treating certain phobias is you bring the person progressively closer to that which he or she fear, fears, and the person has a fear of height, a fear of spiders, and in virtual reality, you can bring them closer and closer without invoking any actual danger. Yeah, no, it's one of those things where uh, I had never heard that before, but that is just phenomenal because it's true. It's funny. Um I was the best in terms of my Oculus goggles. I, when I would share them with friends, as soon as they would put them on, they're like, I've got to get this. It's crazy how um, how amazing and how real it really is. Yeah. Um, just, you know, as we sort of wind up here, um, you did a, um, a panel today. Um, we measure what we treasure. I would love it if you could just share with the audience sort of the idea behind that. I thought uh, the, the two professors that you had on were tremendous in the, in the sense of, of um, sharing with, uh, with everyone the importance 
of connectivity, especially in rural areas? Things that we don't care about, we don't bother to measure. Um, we don't measure, oh, maybe we measure our recycling, but you know, nobody really tracks you know, how, much, how many hefty bags they took out during a week. One of the approaches that we take in the Smart Communities Program is a, a construct that I call numbers and narrative. The stories stick. And we know that because that's what resonates with us as, as human beings. We're storytellers. Policymakers, I'm not saying that policymakers aren't human. Policymakers are affected by stories, but in order to make a rational decision that withstands testing, good policymakers want to rely on numbers as well. So when we're talking about what's the impact of broadband, and we can talk in high platitudes of qualitative terms, terms of the students who can access more educational opportunities and the workers who have more options and the healthcare patients who have better outcomes. Uh, but we can measure those outcomes in healthcare. We can measure the value of broadband on such things as real estate values or labor force participation or economic activity in a community. So when we can blend those numbers, those tested, studied, data-driven outcomes and put those up against the stories that resonate with it, within us as human beings, I think we have really a, a solid basis upon which to base very important federal and national policies. No, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it, you summed it up perfectly. It's really a balance. It's about telling stories, but it's also having concrete data points that sort of reinforce it because it's like one of those things where you could tell a story and then people say, oh, that's not true. Well, in, fa in fact, right. exactly. There's a ton of stuff to back it up. So really important. I thought they, they did an awesome job of, of, of just sharing with the audience in terms of like, there's opportunities for remote workers in terms of rural communities. There's all these different ways that these communities can use the internet to not only make their communities survive, but thrive. Right. I. I went to law school, so my entire professional existence is, is very often depends upon how many uh, depends about the footnotes that I can cite to back up my position. I never want to be in a congressional office. I never want to be in a federal communications commission meeting. I never want to be anywhere where I, I pitch a story, I pitch a position, and somebody looks at me and says, "Prove it." And what the numbers and narrative approach does it enables us to tell that story that resonates. It enables us to say, and it's true, and here's the evidence. You know what, Josh? That's that's a it's a great place to end it. I, I want to thank you and all the folks um, with with uh, NTCA. You guys do a phenomenal job. You're so welcoming. Really appreciate the time um, and giving us the opportunity to tell folks stories. Thanks very much. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Broadband Munch. Until next time, we'll see you guys later.